Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. We bring you the very best recorded panels, workshops, and seminars concerning role-playing game design and publishing. This has been made possible by the generous contributions of the panel speakers and double exposure with their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 85, Repurposing Mechanics. Recorded at Metatopia 2015. Presented by Justin Jacobson, Cam Banks, Jeff Tidball, and Andre Laroche. Did you already say what I this is? I did not assert that. <laughs> Have you said this is a seminar about X? You were logged in if nothing else. We're waiting for you to launch it. You well, uh, Cam kept talking. This is stealing things. No, it's not. What is it? Recycling. Recycling things. Recycling. From other things to make into new things. Uh, yeah, well, no, but yeah. So, uh, like, we have a game that existed at one point, and we want to make a new game, and we decided that this game would be great if only we didn't have the rules that this game had, and we want a different game with new rules. That's recycling some stuff because it's the same setting, perhaps, or it's got the same characters in it, you know. Um, there are a lot of things this, I think, includes, and I think, Justin, that we, we talked earlier about this, right, and Andre as well, uh, updating the game for a new edition counts as recycling, Right, um, taking <coughs> content from a game that has been entered into some sort of open license or Creative Commons thing counts as recycling. Sure, I think well, also the first two are. Yeah. Oh, I don't know who you are, but we'll oh yeah, that's it. Yes, I'm Justin Jacobson. Uh, I am a game publisher and designer uh, by day. I am a lawyer. Uh, I live in South Florida, practice in Florida. Um, <laughs> I'm Jeff Tidball. I'm a designer and publisher of cardboard and role-playing games. Um, I also operate with Will Hindmarch, Game Playwright, which is sort of a non-fiction publisher of things about game design and creativity in general. So we publish like Hamlet's Hit Points, if you've heard of that, which Robin Laws wrote, uh, and some other things. The Bones, which is a collection of essays about dice that are not about dice. They are about the lives of gamers, but all the essays in them are about dice. I'm Cam Banks. I'm a writer, designer, and developer, and I have done a lot of recycling over the years. I'm Andre LaRoche. I am also a writer, designer, and also a lawyer by day. So you have to deal with two of us today. <laughs> we are surrounded by lawyers. Well, I thought what a cool thing we could do is if we focus on questions about content recycling and then they can talk about the legality of certain things, which I think is of interest to some people because... Yep. See? Yes. Yeah, we figured that was going to come up. <laughs> so I think maybe it helps to start talking about sort of your motivations, and we talked about like why would you even consider this, and maybe you guys can speak to that part creatively. About why you would. Yeah. Like why? Why, why do you? Why are you even getting into the recycling business? Why not just create everything new about yourself? Like, well, so up I, with, I think that the answer to that is that there is no new shit. <laughs> I mean, so. Fundamentally, if you design stuff long enough and if you're just around long enough and if you are a student of games that already exist and you just keep playing stuff, you will discover that all of the new stuff 
is old stuff. Like you can go back and find prior art. Like that's a legal term that I don't know exactly what it means, but you will find <laughs> what are you talking about? Previous designs because those are yes. You will find previous designs that have in greater or lesser parts the thing that you thought was new, right? All nearly all of the things that are in Magic the Gathering that that were so those were all combined into a drastically new thing and created an entirely new genre of stuff, but nearly all of that stuff also existed in previous games. So the the best answer I think to that question is that you you can only recycle. There are not really any new ideas. All right, everybody depressed now. <laughs> I think there are, but like, I think that's no, no, okay. Yeah. I, I, I sort of, I, I analogize it to like we're all made up of the same DNA, which fundamentally is very simple stuff, but we've all turned out quite differently. Um, and so, yeah, we're all recycled or built from the same DNA, but it's the implementation and the specific design choices you make that are going to take this thing that might not be original to you, but make something original out of it. Yeah, well, that's, and that's some... the difference between recycling and just outright theft, plagiarism, and those sorts of things that you want to avoid. That's where something like this becomes more of an art than a science, because as we'll get into later with the legalities of fair use, when when the courts look at that, it's more of a fudgy system, not not fudge system, but (laughs) they they fudge the analysis a bit, which... um, by, by, that's the only way to get an actual ruling is in court, and at that point, you don't want to get to there. So, your own judgment is kind of the best way to go at the outset. I think there's also kind of a spectrum of, of, of borrowing and recycling, right? There's some stuff that you can tell was totally taken from another game or from a different product, and then there's some stuff that you didn't realize was that until you look more into it. Like, how reductionist do you want to get? Well, you know, every game has had some sort of turn-taking things. That's not really what we would call recycling. But the idea of tapping and turning things to mark that you've done it may be a stronger case, which is why they tried patenting that, isn't it, correct? Tapping. Tapping, yeah. My, the one I always like to use is, if you look at the uh, evolution of, of dice pool games from uh, Ghostbusters to uh, West End Games D6 to Shadowrun to White Wolf's D10, I mean, some of those are obviously inspired more and more or less directly by similar designers or the same designer in some cases. And others are like, we were playing this game and I've completely forgotten about it, but I like this idea now for a game and I'll do it. And then you later on, you're like, oh crap, that's because I liked that game last time. Right? The inspiration chain is often not as clear as you think, but that's still the same as recycling in some circles. If you go back and analyze the history of certain uh, games and where they got their ideas from, you will almost always find some route back. But that's where it becomes a fuzzy thing, I think. Right. So. Yeah, and I think sometimes it can be more overt than that too. I mean, a lot of times you can make a design choice that you're intentionally going to recycle something either because you love it and you want to do something cool with it. Uh, you know, powered by the apocalypse, right? Uh, it's a really cool system. I like it. I want to do something with it. And I'm going to make something new with it. Uh, and then sometimes you recycle stuff because you want to fix something about it. Like I love this game. I love everything about it except for this one thing really annoys me. So I'm going to sort of make my own version of this and fix the things that, are, that I don't like in it. And that is also a way sort of for formal recycling. Cool. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so any questions? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, one hobby horse that I want to ride briefly before we throw it open to questions, because I think that it is a way that many people go wrong, um, is looking for inspiration 
board games that you're going to make in games that already exist, which leads to making games that are excessively derivative, and that's sad. To me, it is sad anyway, right? You see these games that are like, this is everything that I liked about... Well, so this is the fantasy heartbreaker thing, I guess. Or this a board the, game here, like Dominion, the deck builder. Right. Here is a game that is exactly like this other one, except mine has dwarves. Or except mine gives you minus three. And and it's you could do so much better stuff with your time than remake a game that is exactly like that one, except that it gives you minus three instead of minus one. Um, James Ernest wrote a super, super good blog post on this, uh, which is called something like Why You Should Never Play Games With Me or something like that. But it was about his experience playtesting somebody's uh, deck builder that was essentially just like Dominion. And his point was, why are, why are we only making deck builders that are just like Dominion? There are like one billion super interesting, crazily innovative things we could do with the basic concept of deck builder. Why does everyone keep bringing me these thinly disguised clones of Dominion? And the same thing was true of the first generation, like of CCGs right after Magic, right? It was here are my resources that I tap to get points that I use to bring things out that fight your things. There are so many more interesting things that you can do. And, like, sometimes maybe it just takes a while to explore what is outside of those obvious derivatives. But much better, in my opinion, that you should look for inspiration for game designs in movies and novels and theories of management or other places and then like come back to so what does the game of this look like what does the game of David Allen uh, David Allen's getting things done system look like right that would be a kind of a weird place to look for inspiration for a game but on the other hand you are not going to come back to game design and create something that's derivative of any existing game if you start with a, a source that's like that so I guess I implore you to recycle things from elsewhere from other disciplines rather than than looking too closely to existing game design. It is really fascinating to have Jeff say this kind of thing because there's so many things out there which are being done which are essentially exactly what you're saying. And what's funny about them is that sometimes they're better than the originals. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, right? <laughs> they're better than the one that they derived it from. But like, they don't sell better. Well, sometimes they do, yeah. right? Mm, I say sometimes they do, yes. So, I, um, or they're, or they're at least critically more well, popular. Yeah, I was going to say sometimes it can be because the thing you did you took that game and you slapped a popular license on it too. There's another way to have it sell. There's also the idea though that you take a thing and you say this is the game I like like for example Apocalypse World and you say this is very cool I love the way this works the mechanics are cool I kind of want to do that but like D&D what would that be like I don't know maybe a dungeon world or something and then a whole bunch of people who play uh, D&D but think, look at Apocalypse World think I don't want to play that I don't like Mad Max or game books that have fucking lot in them I, I want to play a game that is like Dungeon and World but this one you've made here. And so the market is entirely different, right? You have recycled stuff from one person's area of, of interest and field of people buying it to a different area entirely. And there's overlap because there are people out there who will buy and back every single Kickstarter that has powered by the apocalypse stuff and no matter what it is or how good it is or anything. Uh, and I have all of them. Bender album is powered by the apocalypse. It's true. <laughs> um, but there are also people who will say... Someone just brought me this game, it's called Dungeon World, and it's just like D&D, but better, right? And I've heard this from people, so obviously objectively true. And you, when you, you talk to them more about why they liked it, and they say, well, it's got this and this and this, and you can see some of that is in, in uh, Apocalypse World, and other stuff is not, right? 
they got into the game that way. And when you tell them, oh, boy, this is just this game, but recycled and skinned out, they're like, huh, weird. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll check it out. And they look and they go, holy crap, no, thank you, I'll stick to this. So there are people of whom that kind of attitude would, would, would cut that particular success out. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it's an additional thing we should be obviously monitoring as well. You don't want to take Apocalypse World and say, I'm now making Mad Max World, because you're like, well, that's dumb. Right. I, I'm mostly thinking of carded board. <coughs> yeah, I was going to say, this is where because, this divide really comes yeah. in, because like, the right. kind of thing you're talking about is... Yeah. Well, it's a, but that's the thing. There's, there's a reason to try and draw that distinction for the type of thing it is, like you said, um, and that is because of exactly that reason, right? Uh, RPGs would all not be here if we had stopped doing <laughs> You know, if we said, I think D&D is great, but what I want to do is go and watch this movie uh, 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 Postman Ernie Knox twice or whatever and make a game about that and nothing else is similar and then I don't make any money. Well, but so the world did not desperately need tunnels and trolls, which right, is right. mostly Dungeons and Dragons. Right. right, but you could still have a game like Fiasco mm-hmm. if you went, you know, if you don't start with D&D, but instead look for inspiration somewhere else. Yep. I, Tunnels and Trolls is not particularly bad or anything. It just strikes what me. What about Rollmaster, Jeff? Does the uh, world Rollmaster need is great. I don't know if the world <laughs> needs Rollmaster. Rollmaster is <laughs> so. a favorite of mine. So I guess, it's actually true. I guess from the standpoint of each of us having worked on projects, what sort of checklist has each of us kind of come upon in because we've all reached that point where you say, okay, I know the DNA of this project because I know what's been the creative juice. What does he, What do each of you utilize in figuring out, okay, is this towing the line or not? Because that's an individualized process. I'd like each of us to kind of talk about that. I, I should probably mention this. This is an interesting case study as myself. Um, so I always wanted to do a licensed, uh, this was back in the D20 era, um, which obviously is essentially a license to recycle, right? That's what it's for. Uh, and I always wanted to do a licensed RPG, but I didn't have the money or the time or whatever to, to do all that. And so I said, well, how can I do a licensed RPG if I don't have a license? Oh, I know. I'll do what League of Extraordinary Gentlemen did and just steal from all the public domain stuff. So I basically made an RPG using the D20 license where I took the parts about the D20 system that I liked and took out the other parts I didn't, so I used a lot of that. And I used, I said, okay, I'm going to make a game like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, so I was stealing from that. Uh, but then I went back and then obviously used all this public domain stuff, which is itself, so League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is recycling from all this stuff as well. And then the, the epilogue to all this is that uh, I really liked the, the, the game and all, but what I really liked was the setting. And so now I'm actually testing here uh, a board game that I made of the setting for my own RPG. So... Um, I guess I've come full circle, full circle on that. <laughs> but my whole my whole publishing career is on original RPGs. <laughs> I grew up in the D20 license era. So Jeff is recycling a game he made before into a new game, which is actually a different game, right? Because Fast and yes. Titan is. is oh, I thought you were talking uh, about Inferno Bell. Yeah, I thought no, you were talking yeah. about Inferno well, Bell too. I, I, I don't want. To, I, mean, I mean, this is even more obvious, right? Because Cthulhu 500 has cards in it with cards on them and other things and crew people and to Fast of the Tiger there's a different way of doing the game but it still has many recycled elements yeah that, that is a really interesting so uh, yes Cthulhu 500 is a card game that I designed um, some time ago Atlas Games published it it's an indie car racing 
game set in the Call of Cthulhu universe. And so we have just sent to press a game called Fast and Photogen, which is a straight racing card game, but the cards are all, well, the cards are mostly interoperable with each other. So the gameplay is completely different from game to game, but you can take 85 or 90% of the cards from either game and use them in the other one. So that is, is totally recycled. Yeah. And that was actually super challenging to design, and there are things in Fast and Photogen that are not as elegant as you would want them to be, like because statistics exist in Cthulhu 500, and so they have to be on all of the Fast and Photogen cards so that you can take those and use them in Cthulhu 500. And so that was, it, it was super challenging to design that game because of that, and we actually, it, it evolved a lot from the original editions because of, of design choices that were driven by the fact that it all had to be cross-compatible. So what was your original motivation for, for doing Fast and Talk? Like, what, why do you say, like, why do I need to do this? Is that um, it's a big sellout, basically? At the time, honestly. <laughs> well, no, so it was because I was wanted to leave Fantasy Flight and needed some projects to be working on. And John and Michelle were local to me, and I thought would probably hire me if I pitched them a game that was compatible with that. Did it and work? I... <laughs> <laughs> Other than the fact that it took like eight years yes. for me to get it done and get uh, it out, but I mean, so a lot of the times the motivation is is commercial. It's like I, well, it, it appears yeah. that my mortgage will be due again, you know. And that goes back to what we were talking about before: is like, oh, I'll take Dominion that seems to be doing well, and you know, get the DC license and make the DC deck building game. Which, you know, thinking back on it, actually part of that also came out of it would be funny to call a game Fast and Photography. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that, that, that's where a lot of good games start is with the title, right? Yeah. I think we totally did not answer your question. <laughs> was, I thought that was the question. Okay, kind of was like, the question. Everyone, yeah, personal. Yeah, personal yeah, okay. process, personal thoughts. Right I know with me, I... Um, one thing. question. Let's interject real quick. Yeah, sure thing. Well, just... Um, Everyone's got a, their own idea how to make the game better. Um, what? Uh, where are the legal barriers? Yeah. To 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 not recycle. Or who wants us or, to jump to the legal stuff? Or where's just the bad taste? <laughs> we'll jump to the legal and, stuff. I so, have a feeling they're waiting for that. Like they want to yeah. kind of get the feeling like eighty percent of you guys are waiting for like. All right, where do I get the permission to do the stealing, and where? How close can I get to the line? Is that fair to say? At least where the line is. It's more like where you <laughs> think the line is. I, I actually think that 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 whole thing, like for me, uh, the, the the first upper years at least, right? Osric was the thing which started this whole huge cascade of new uh, old school game taken from the OGL type stuff, right? Now Osric did post-dated the D20 license, though, right? Right. Yeah. But it was, like, the most blatant, other than the Mongoose reprints of the books, that was right. way blatant. But Osric was an occasion of saying, you know what, we don't have an AD&D first edition license, but who cares? We're going to make uh, AD&D recreated using the open game license and D20 stuff anyway, uh, and somehow pull it off, and now we're fine, and then the floodgates opened up. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question that this sort of whole idea really just took off with the D20 license the whole concept of doing it an open license like that I think sort of planted the seed in a lot of ways for yeah. a lot of reasons. yes uh, so, so this is sort of uh, I guess between the moral and legal things that, yeah. so I was playing a game last year and I had rolled initiative rolled initiative goes all the way back to like I guess I think war games but it's, it's super standard I don't think anybody blink twice if you use it right uh, it's, it's I, I don't you know, it, it, I don't think anybody could claim 
it's theirs, but you know. Uh, ownership of the mechanic for rolling for initiative? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I don't think anybody claims over that. No. Uh, and I don't, I don't think it's probably, I, I don't need legal terms over it. I don't think somebody could assert that at this point. So, right. um, oh, sorry. Yeah. And then, and it made my, it was sort of needless in the game, and somebody said, else, and one of my players went, hey, you should use this kind of initiative. And I was like, wow, this works really well. And it turns out that initiative comes from uh, Marvel role-playing. And, yeah. Uh, popcorn, man. No, good <laughs> point. I called up that. Don't call it popcorn, I will kill everybody. <laughs> Uh, and like the, my sort of question is like, so that's a pretty distinct thing. Like you don't see that, right? And yeah, right. Where are the legal and moral? Like, can I incorporate that? Right? Yeah. Is that like would, would using distinct language be able to do it legally? And morally, does like is that just? If, if you want a bit of background for that, which would be helpful, uh, that's a, a, a method that was floated around as an idea by Leonard Balsera. And when I talked to Fred Hicks at one point while working on Marvel at how I wanted to have a different initiative thing, because I didn't have any at the time. The first round of playtesting had no initiative system whatsoever. They just pick who goes next, sort of thing. Um, Fred had said, well, Lenny has this idea that we were thinking about using it, but we don't really know what we'd use it for, so maybe you talk to Lenny and it's this, this, this. And I said, sounds great. So I took that basic idea of, like, you know, I go, then I pick who goes next, and they pick who goes next, and they pick who goes next, until we're all done. That was the premise of it. And then I worked that into Marvel, right? That has taken off in other games too. I mean, and the thing is, it's not like I came up with it by myself. And there's no actual way you can say that can be copyrighted. It's a well, so I think this is a good time to clarify a few things. So first of all, it's important you guys, at least most of you, seem to be understanding the distinction here between ethical considerations and legal considerations. Yeah. They're separate. Um, just because something's legal doesn't mean it's ethical, and vice versa. Um, well, usually the other way works all right. Um, but uh, I feel like we should start with the legal issues. I mean, you don't really want to do anything illegal, right? Let's, I think we can all... I'm going to go under that assumption. Uh, and then afterwards, you get to this idea of, okay, just because I can do something, maybe I still shouldn't do it, or I should do it in a different way, you know, whatever. Um, so if I can just briefly... Yep. And you can obviously have a turn at this as well. But uh, So we always get these talks where we start bringing up IP issues and in general legal issues. Obviously it's very complicated. There's people and you go to law school for three years and you can take classes on this and continue legal education. I can't give you all of IP law in ten minutes or anything like that. But I can give you the basics. And the important thing to understand is um, fundamentally copyright, uh, trademark, and patent. Three separate systems, if you will, to use a game term, uh, for three different ways of protecting intellectual property. Copyright is not an idea. It's only the specific expression of an idea. So the easiest way to think about this has, uh, uh, is if you have a cookbook. Your recipe, I can steal your recipes all day long. And in fact, a lot of the chefs do this. You can see some interesting articles about this, about uh, celebrity chefs who are basically just stealing recipes. That's fine. As long as so the, the list of ingredients at the top, where I'm just listing ingredients, that's not a unique expression of anything. It's just the stuff you're putting in. The language you use in terms of how you're putting that stuff together, if you're using uh, interesting language in doing that, maybe you can copyright that part. But the process of that recipe cannot be copyrighted. Okay? Because you can't, can only copyright the specific expression. So this idea of initiative. Mm -hmm. If I want to... If, if, if I were to take uh, the paragraph on initiative out of Marvel Baroque and cut and paste it into mine, 
that would be a violation of copyright because it's a specific expression of that idea and I've copied it. I can take that and instead of cutting and pasting it, I can go through my thesaurus and change a few words and maybe rearrange the sentences and that's 100% fine copyright-wise because I've changed the expression of that idea. Then you get to this issue of uh, trademark, which are, uh, it's a commercial issue, but also lots of my like, specific terms or logos and things like that, trade dress and that stuff. Uh, so if, for example, he had wanted to call it Popcorn Initiative, and he had put that in the Marvel role-playing and said Popcorn Initiative, let's slap a little TM up there, right? As long as that's new, right, as long as it's, it's an original uh, idea of his, he could have claimed a trademark on this idea or this, this specific phrase, Popcorn Initiative, as long as no one's used it before, right? Then you could not go in and say, hey, we're using the Popcorn Initiative, because that's trademark. You could still, again, take the idea, rewrite it, and put it in and call it something else or not call it something else. That's totally fine, too. Jail Chips Initiative. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, as long as you're not using his trademark. And then the last thing is patenting, which is very complicated, very expensive process, all this stuff. And so the, the famous example people talk about is Magic the Gathering, this idea of patenting tapping. So patents deal with novel processes or designs or things like that. So in the game context, usually we're talking about processes. Is there some new novel process that you have developed that no one's seen before, you know, um, that you can file for a patent? So you have to file for the patent. There's no common law patents like there are for trademarks and copyrights. It's an expensive process. It's a long process. Uh, you can't do it by yourself. Never going to happen. And you're talking about attorneys and things like that. Um, so then the idea is, is this thing so new that it's capable of getting this protection. So this idea of picking the order, turn order, is probably not going to cut it. The idea of turning a card sideways to indicate that it's used its ability, that was a close question. There was obviously a lot of debate about whether or not... So they, they got the patent. The question is whether or not... And just because you get the patent, that's not the end of it. Someone can then go in later and challenge that patent, as was done with that specific <coughs> example. Um, so it's just very hard. I mean, if you look at all the stuff now coming out with uh, computer games, very popular, like, oh, we, you know, lining up three jewels in a row, that kind of, that kind of stuff. Is that patentable? Patentable. Um, and a lot of the case law coming out now seems to be, the pendulum seems to be swinging back the other way, where a lot of that, they're not upholding patents for that sort of thing. So I would say in general, and aside from the practical limitations on trying to get a patent on something you're working on, um, it's legally, it's just very, very hard road to, to hoe. Um, so I wouldn't even really worry about that too much. Now, if somebody has an existing patent on something that you want to use, that's a whole different story. If you're, I mean, how you can search the you know patent database for that sort of thing. Um, but again, because it's so unlikely for people to get a patent, it's unlikely that someone has a patent. But it would be the one thing you'd want to make sure that no one else had a patent on someone that you, something that you're. What about visual design on the game as opposed to the mechanic? Trade dress and, and yeah. the graphic design can be uh, copyrighted, I think. Trade Trademark, Trademark, yeah. I should yeah. say, yeah. <clears throat> to go back to copyright for just a little bit, yeah. even though the general intention is to protect against the specific um, iteration of it, the specific um, expression. expression. The reality often is that there's nothing to prevent someone from filing a really BS lawsuit because 
maybe you did sidestep the ethicalities of talking to someone whose product is very similar to yours, talking to someone who is an inspiration, and if your product is close enough, a lot of these suits are driven less by a subtle legal analysis, but more by hurt feelings that go into it, which is understandable. So that kind of, I guess, is why it's important. Even though people want to know the meat and potatoes of the legalities, at the outset, sort of civility and the processes and good judgment of, okay, how much am I trying to create something brand new versus am I trying to ride someone's coattails? That's the that's the major factor that should be used in determining whether or not you need to consult a lawyer before your launch. Like being a before, I, I don't want to, I feel like we didn't get it. Did you get enough of an answer in your head? Because uh, we just threw out trade dress. And like, yeah, not, not really. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I just before we go too far away, I didn't want to forget. I appreciate it. Uh, so, just so we're clear, what we're talking about is trade dress. Is basically the whole idea behind trademarks is protecting against uh, consumer confusion, mm-hmm. confusion in the marketplace. So, is there something unique about your product that this other person is doing that is going to confuse the average consumer that their thing is somehow related to your thing? So, the the classic example was uh, when Third Edition came out, where they had that style of book with the uh, you know, look, that made it look like an actual tome, you know, with the right. bindings and all that stuff. And then I think it was like uh, Creature Collection. I forget which yeah. uh, who published that, but they were doing the same sort of thing. And they White got, Wolf. yeah, was it White Wolf? Yeah. Um, so they got essentially, I think they got like a cease and desist from, I don't know what the specific, but basically what that, the argument was is you're making it look exactly like ours. The average customer is going to go in there and see the player's handbook and see your thing and think it's the same thing or part of the same thing. And so they had made a trademark allegation as to that. So that's where, if the visual aspect of it is similar enough that it's going to create confusion, that's where you get into a trademark violation. I think but as long as your your actual visual look is unique enough that you've established something new, like anything else in like the trademark. So you can't, so Apple has a trademark, but only for computers. I can go make Apple dry cleaners any day of the week, but if I open you know, my own uh, Apple phone store, that's where I'm going to run into trouble. It's because yeah. no one's going to confuse my Apple dry cleaners for the Apple making my iPhones, right? Is it not actually like a, a, you have an obligation or you should basically try and protect your trademark, otherwise they will, you'll lose to you? Yeah, you, if, you have, if you're claiming a trademark, you have to protect it. So, for example, when I did uh, rebranded my law firm, uh, we trademarked the name, Lawcraft, and uh, we got a word mark for it. So there's word marks and then there's, uh, I forget what the other one's called, but visual, like logos, essentially. Unique representation. So, uh, anyone who uses the word lawcraft, and this is, I have like a Google alert set up. So some attorney in San Francisco is, oh, I'm starting, here's my new blog, it's called lawcraft, and I have to send him a nice little letter, sorry, you know, here's our trademark registration. Uh, so yeah, and if I don't do that, if I ignore that, you can lose your trademark if you don't protect it. Because the idea is essentially the marketplace has become diluted, and therefore the issue of consumer confusion doesn't exist anymore. Like cellophane used to be a trademark. Kleenex. Is that still a trademark? It still is, I think. But it's one of those ones that. Is that dumpster? Is dumpster. dumpster. Well, there's a bunch of these dumpster. stories where Kleenex people had brand so you can't copyright. Yeah. Okay. You can, you now, there's other interesting design. things, too. What? You can't copyright a design, but you can trademark a design? Yes. Uh, well, it depends what you mean by a design. Um, say, like, a character design. Uh, yeah, so that that's going to be trademark. Like, like uh, you'd have a superhero, and he's like, yeah. looks his costume, right? Yeah. So, like, there's a trademark on the Superman costume. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yes? Uh, so, when it comes to things like 
Okay, so, so fifth edition D&D came out. People wanted to make stuff for it, but Push of the Coast hasn't has been licensing it to specific people, you know, like Cobalt and stuff. But not there's no I think the OGL or GSL. But you have people putting out products that are Necromancer. Yeah, compatible with the fifth edition yeah. with the fifth edition of the original popular. Yeah, yeah, right. uh, is that just something that's legally like scoring scores by fine or that's they, that's fair use. And so one of the things you can do for trademark is you can use a, an, a competitor's trademark to show compatibility or for comparison. So that's why you'll see uh, in a Coca-Cola commercial, hey, we did a taste test with uh, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, and Coca-Cola won. You can use that Pepsi trademark because you're showing a comparison. Or uh, it's interesting, some of the uh, people who make the game box inserts, you know, the fancy like the upgrade wooden inserts or whatever, uh, broken token. Yeah, broken token does them, and there's a few others. Uh, but uh, so it's really interesting because I, I don't think they would have any issue saying this insert is compatible with Imperial Assault, but they don't. They call it like the Imperial Real. Empire. They call it the Empire Attack one, or whatever. They're using something similar. But, but, yeah. So I would say so theoretically, I think they would be okay saying this insert is compatible with Imperial Assault. Even though Imperial Assault is a trademark, because they're using it to show compatibility. So some people say that this product's compatible with Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons, rather than saying the Fifth Edition. And so that's a sort of a thing, a weird cultural thing that's popped up. I think it's well. Here's the thing. So if you do that, and maybe this is why Broken Token has done this, it wouldn't shock me if you got a cease and desist letter from Wizards of the Coast Attorneys, and then you have to make this fundamental decision: wrap yourself right. How much of a shitstorm do I want to endure just to be able to say? Rather than do it that way, it's safer. You're not going to worry. They can't complain, right? It's like when when I was working on uh, uh, with Marvel, right? The the game. Uh, there are people who wanted to do things like make character sheets the same way, or make their own data files the same way, and so on. What I would always tell them is that this is the sort of thing we've done as a trademark. This is a trade risk, and so on. But also, really, you don't want to do anything with this because the mouse is huge and will come and get you. And it's Marvel and Disney, and it's just Lucasfilm is the same way. If you if he did that, I mean. Someone at Lucasfilm could just take 10 minutes and file a thing, and then you suddenly go, crap, I have to change it. So rather than even come close to being inviting that kind of pain on yourself, people often just go, well, it's just the world's most popular old-time game, we'll say that. And it's one thing if you're doing it on your website, you can click a few lines of code and fix it, but if you're talking about a printed something or other that you're going to have to recall and slap stickers on, that kind of thing, then you're, I mean, you're toast. So sometimes... You know, uh, discretion is the better part about it. But theoretically, somebody could make a supplement that says compatible with Legend of the Fire Prince. And assuming they felt comfortable that, like, uh, they, they will not have the legal, the, the monetary wherewithal to sue me over this because they wouldn't win. Uh, somebody could do that and be at least legally okay, regardless of the. Well, that's okay. So I want. This is where I want to be very careful, right? <laughs> uh, Everything just exclude you know you haven't said anything else about this probably. Um, I mean I teach uh, intro to law class to high school students and I tell it every time no matter what it is there's always an implied sometimes at the end of every absolute statement that you make about the law there's always exceptions and things like that. Um, so I mean a lot of it's going to be if just that sentence alone is that a problem? No, I don't think that's a problem at all. I mean that's a specific fair use for trademark. Um, but can you run into trouble if it starts looking like it, or maybe all of a sudden you're using game terms that they've used, yeah. and you know then you're getting into a grayer area. But just being able to say this is compatible with this trademark, yeah. Well, that, that I think time. invites people to look inside the thing and say, well, what do you mean by compatible? Oh, I see you're using all the same things that we've actually already copyrighted or trademarked. 
previously on, on the inside of the product. TSR used to get all up in arms about that, About what? About putting third-party products, putting on the cover compatible with... Well, well, I mean, it's in their best interest. First of all, they have to be protected. They have to be provided. I mean, the law encourages trademark owners to be aggressive. Um, so they kind of almost have to do that. And then you are in the position of, do I want to, you know risk it or not, and so that's why there's this sort of incentive to err on the side of caution. Um, but you'll see, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're a, an uh, insightful observer of, like, just uh, common, like, ads and television shows and things like that, you'll see there's a lot of that going on and just, you don't notice it. Yeah. So, in this case, when you said Legend of Five Rings, in this case, you run into the issue because it's specific. Legend of the Five Rings is not like Dungeons and Dragons. Legend of the Five Rings is not the play whatever samurai game you want. It really is a mechanism for setting. Right. So if you do compatible with Legend of the Five Rings, well, can you, you know you start getting Crane Clan, Dragon Clan, Daidoji Family, Kita Family. You start well, so, the, yeah. So that's why I was saying right. if you start using terms like the clan names, they could easily claim that there's some sort of copyright violation, or even just with, or maybe even a common law trademark on some of these clan names. There's things like that where you're going to run into more of a, an issue. Yeah, My point is just saying using the trademark to show compatibility is generally okay. The like problem you, is that that really is implying something more than that. You can't really make a supplement called this is a supplement that's compatible with uh, J.R. Tolkien's World of Middle Earth and just have a whole bunch of Middle Earth stuff in there and yeah. say, oh, it's compatible. It's not really. It's, I mean, the people will come down to you on the type breaks. Right? Yeah. Um, that sort of stuff goes into the realm of like, you know implied you know you may say that by the law you're doing this thing specifically but we all know what you're doing and it's pretty obvious and we're going to send some lawyers out I think that, that's where we get fuzzy cases like if I've if I've done everything totally by the book and it looks exactly like I've been following the instructions but we all know what I've done there for is to try and take away uh, market share from something and in a way that seems you know skeevy uh, then there's you know a reason to start sending lawyers out yeah. So I, I'm curious about a, a game that I've made and playtesting it tomorrow morning. Um, it's, uh, What's it called? It's called The Call. Okay. Um, it started out, I made a dungeon starter for Dungeon World. Um, it was built around the villager playbook uh, created by Jason Morningstar. And, um, uh, and then it, it, it has evolved significantly since then. And now it's its own standalone game uses some of the narrative structural mechanics of Fiasco. The, it's powered by the Apocalypse, so Moose, Moose Resolution still has the Apocalypse world, Dungeon World background there. I've thrown in bits and pieces of uh, um, the Deep Forest and the Quiet Year and Dream Askew and there's some influence from Sagas of the Iceman. So there's, there's a lot of different sort of a lot of things moving around in there. Um, and in my game text, I give credit to all of these different sources and right. much appreciation, kudos to the designers who've gone before me and inspired me. But I'm curious about, because I haven't, I don't know that I've seen, you know, the depths of who's borrowing mechanics from whom and how, how are they acknowledging that and, so on. I just, I'd love to hear you riff on that for a minute. Yeah, I think that's a good segue to the ethical yeah, considerations. It's the ethical thing. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that what I'm doing is legally allowed, yeah. but 
and and I want to be creating positive relationships with these designers who I admire. Like I love their games, and it's probably because I love their games that I'm like that mechanic or like palette that I took out out of uh, microscope. I'm like that's a great mechanic. I rewrote it, and I'm using it in my game. Like. So a good I want to yeah. just make one thing really clear is that plagiarism is not illegal. So the things we're talking about, like copyright infringement, trademark infringement, that's a legal issue. Plagiarism, you can have plagiarism without falling into that you know, arena of infringement where you've got a legal issue. But if you're plagiarizing, even if you're not in that legal issue, then you're in the ethical issue. Right. And so I guess the question is, where does it become plagiarism or not, and what sorts of attribution should you give? So like I footnote... You're basically doing what, what those uh, designers have asked people to do, which is uh, attribute their stuff and ref- mention them and say why or who or what you got it from and so on. Uh, John Harper did Lady Blackbird, which takes a whole lot of stuff from uh, Shadow of Yesterday, Yesteryear, Yesterday? It's Clinton Nixon's yeah. game. With, with, yeah, with uh, keys and a lot of other things, right? Um, Marvel Heroic uses keys as well, but calls them milestones. And so... Um, we've done this practice, which is kind of like a, 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 a I don't know how what you'd call it. Like it's a, it's an understanding <laughs> that you. It's a, it's a social norm. Right. It's like Creative Commons, only it's not got Creative Commons attached to it. But now more people are using CC to make sure this is legally in place. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's a great way to do that. If you think that you've got stuff, you don't care if people borrow it and use it in their games. And if you just put CC on it in some way, uh, even if it's non-commercial, if you don't want people to using it for money. But you set up an expectation that uh, I'm putting this stuff out here and you can go ahead and do things with it. I wanted to do this thing with it, and I did that, and now I'm happy. But if you want to make a game which has this and this and this, then it's fine. But a lot of times, like, like uh, uh, Vincent didn't do that with Apocalypse World, but apparently everyone liked it so much. And th- th- all they had to do was to say, hey, is it okay if I do this? And he's usually like, yep. And that's not... It's hard to to legally protect that, right? But he won't go after you. But you can't always assume that from people. You can't say, well, I'm just using stuff from uh, Fantasy Flight Games, Star Wars RPG, and thanks to those guys for doing that, you know, attributing them, they will come after you too, right? That's not what they want. Well, the attribution itself isn't a per se legal defense, but within a community like this, it's a kind of kindness and, you know, a way of saying, hey, I'm playing in good faith. Yeah. Um, it really just depends on the community of which you're drawing your material from. Like I said, most big commercial companies are probably going to look at you like, what did you do that for? Uh, now we have to try and sort of talk about this in legal terms, whereas small press and indie games are always like sharing it out anyway and so on, and you just take this stuff and do fun things with it. Yeah, it, I, to clarify, it, it depends on where you're doing this and who you're attributing it to, right? If there are certain people, if you attribute to, oh, I got this great idea from them, from you, thank you so much. There's some group of people that are going to be like, oh, thank you, that's awesome. And there's going to be some people like, oh, well, here's my cease and desist letter. <laughs> I will say, going back to that, though, it's, it's always good to ask, maybe not even permission, but just say, give a heads up, that you're going to use something before you do it. And just a lot of us, particularly I mean, in the smaller scene, like, uh, just a quick email, like, oh, I really love this thing, I just want to let you know using something similar to this there and I want to give you credit I just you know, make sure you're okay with that or do you want me to attribute it in a particular way or something like that and uh, no, I just think that's a good good practice to get into if you feel like you're I mean if it's this is where you get the question whether is it generic enough that I even need to bother with that or not but. right 
I think that the Creative Commons is a great element of the recycling thing, too. Why would you say that's true? I love Creative Commons. I think it's the best idea in organization ever, almost. I was going to get an opportunity to say more about it, but that's fine. I believe everybody's well, familiar. Was there anybody who's not familiar? I was going to say, could you elaborate a little bit? Like, I, I understand the general concept, but like, I don't really know the details. So it, I know it, there's, like, numbers sometimes assigned to it. Right. Like, this edition. So yeah. Creative Commons is an organization, a nonprofit foundation of some kind or another, and what they do is essentially they have created a series of legal agreements that anybody can use. So each one of them... Or, or there's like one agreement to which you plug in different things. There's probably a bunch of agreements. Anyway, so there are certain things that you can sort of turn on and off with any given thing of yours where you own the copyright that you would like to make available to others. So if I design a game and put it out there and I want other people to use it and I'm releasing it under a Creative Commons license, I can release it under a license that says, yes or no, I would like to require the people who use this to credit me. Yes or no, I would like them to be able to sell the things that they make that are derivative of that. Yes or no, I would like them to. Well, what are some of the other creative? Some of them have to also enter and share alike. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have to. You have to also license the thing that you make under the same terms to people that are downstream. So that you, you if you're going to borrow from me, you can't say no one can borrow from you. You have to let them work. And so, because all of these contracts exist already, it is not hard for you to release stuff but still retain some of those rights or still control a little bit about it. Before those licenses exist and were easy to use, you kind of had the option to either retain all the rights or to throw it out into the public domain. So it's a super great kind of series of half measures that let people share stuff and make awesome things available for other people to use. Does anybody know if anything, you know, any of the Creative Commons licenses have actually been put to a, to a legal test? Have any of them ever made it into... To your I'm not home. aware of any, which suggests to me that they're pretty good. I mean, I, I've, I've looked at them. I, they are pretty good. I mean, I, they're not. There's things about them that I would change here or there. And they're I actually version, right? Like they yeah, have been yeah. developed over yeah, yeah. time. Um, and I, I actually have a client uh, who uh, I want to do a license for. He wants me to have. Uh, I don't think I can say who it is, but uh, uh, so he wants. Says like. He wants uh, a few versions of the license that people, users, can choose from when using their service. Um, and one of them he wants to be Creative Commons rather than having right. The reason why is because it's essentially a form of marketing as well. It's a signpost. You're saying to people, people know what Creative Commons is. Well, it's plenty of people, not everyone, obviously. But you're saying to them, look, I put this in Creative Commons because I want you to use it. And so it's, it's, you know, rather than even if I take my own license or draft my own license, you know, it's not Creative Commons doesn't have that name on there. You might, you know, there's some legalese in there or, you know, you're not, you know, you want to try and parse out what the rights are. Like you may not be comfortable dealing with that license, whereas if it's Creative Commons, you know, people are using it all the time. You might be more comfortable with that. So in some ways, it's a, essentially a form of marketing and implicit permission beyond the explicit permission. I mean, just to be clear that Creative Commons license, a license in general is a legal agreement, is a, it's permission to do something that you're not otherwise legally allowed to do, right? Uh, and so in this instance, it's use uh, material that would otherwise be protected that you wouldn't be able to use. So uh, you're giving this permission in, this, in a specific legal way, so it has a specific legal purpose, but in addition to that, it's a, it's a form of marketing or a, a, a statement 
to the world about how you want your material to be used and what you're okay with people doing, you know, beyond the legal implications. Any other questions? One more. We have maybe time for one more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one, one question on Creative Commons, just a legal question. Doesn't Creative Commons have the same sort of copyleft problems that LGPL3 has, where if you use a piece of work that is Creative Commons, one of the share-alike licenses, and you go ahead and build a derivative work on it, you have to also use the exact same Creative Commons license. I think that's that's how it works. Well, but you can choose to do that or not do that. That's one of the things you can talk about. But, I don't but think, if I think you're you, using a share alike, if you're using yeah. a share alike, I think yes. that you derive from something that's using a share alike. Yes, you have to use a share alike. Yes, yes. I yes. believe that it's commutative. So yes. that, yeah. That, yeah, I think I believe that it has the same sort of uh, communicative power that the GPL has. I don't know is, what is the GPL. You know? The new public license for software. Oh, okay. Software. Yeah, I don't know. The section 15 has that communicative clause, and most people did it wrong, but. You know, if you paid, I had two page long ones that yeah. after 10 years. Well, like those feed books, you know, where basically people were reprinting every feed and every third party yeah. book ever made, and the section 15s were like 10 pages long. Well, the thing I ran into where I used the feed from one of the feed books, and they didn't know which one. Right, so you have to use their whole section 15. Their yeah. entire <laughs> section 15 yeah. and my section 15 because I couldn't research where the original source was. There, there are nine court decisions. On yeah, he was just looking that up too. I haven't, I haven't read about him though, so I don't know. But that, none of them like overturning them. I wouldn't think they're probably I mean, all about not, particular uh, breaches of the specific. Yeah, I was going to say my yeah, guess is they're very, very refined and probably they've been addressed in the most recent revision. I mean, yeah, that's the whole point. I mean, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. <coughs> and my whole thing with writing licenses is uh, writing them in a way that's as clear as possible, because particularly something like where you're. You're essentially licensing to the public. You obviously want, like, you're speaking to the lowest common denominator that you were trying to, right? And I think there's a few things in the Creative Commons that I would work differently over so that they're a little clearer personally. But I don't know if this is about recycling, but an interesting legal thing we're doing on a game playwright product that's coming up. So it is a, it's called the White Box. It is a box of game design bits that are you're intended to buy and then make your own games out of. So it's got a book about game making, but one of the things that the guy who created this thing wants to do is put our contract inside of it so people can use it. As the publisher, the contract we made with him to do it, he wants that to also appear in the thing so that people can use that to be educated about what do legal agreements oh, look weird. like in card and board game publishing. Cool. Yeah, I need to get to so work Justin's on that. So Justin's going to look at that and make sure we're not doing anything that would horribly mislead yes. everyone about how best to do those things. Everything was going south. Yeah, that would be awkward. Uh, I'll make the same uh, offer I made in the last panel I was attending. Uh, if you have legal questions, uh, I'd be happy to give you my business card. I'm happy to answer a question here or there or take a look at a contractor license if you have a question. Uh, pro bono, that's my pro bono is helping out the gaming community. So uh, by all means, if you have anything, any questions or whatever, just let me know and I'll give you a card. All right? Yay, recycling! And now dance. <laughs> yeah, so the, okay, so so the software while we're cleaning up, I guess. While uh, so soft, the software community has the concept of a vanity where like a computer game, for example, that studio has closed and no one's maintaining it or mm -hmm. you know, there's no abandoned game, yeah. Yeah. And so there are people who will keep 
will keep you know archives of the game and work to make sure that it's compatible on modern machines and things like that. And that's always been kind of like in a questionable legal area um, because of the abandoned nature. They're not taking market share from from anybody. There's nobody left right. to own market share. Well, so right, but that's still not illegal, right? No, no, not necessarily. So here's the thing. That's what I was saying. So there. Uh, Intellectual property is property just like anything else. I mean, intangible personal property, but it's, you know, if I take my car and I have intent to abandon that, we're relinquishing my property rights. Someone, anyone can take that car and do whatever the hell they want with it. So, like, because I've given up my property rights. So, the question would be, and if, if this, so let's say this came to an issue and someone sued someone over this, mm-hmm. there's going to be evidence. There's going to be a question was this abandoned or not? And there'll be evidence as to demonstrate abandonment. And if they could demonstrate that, then I think you'd be okay. And if not, then no. You know that. So the question is: so if someone abandons property, then someone else can use it. And that's also true with intellectual property. So, so I, I, I imagine that the, it's a little harder with intellectual property. To right. Of property. course, because you can't leave your intellectual property under a bridge somewhere, right? Right. Yeah. You try. So we have to take a statement that you have abandoned this essentially. Yeah. Well, or just conduct demonstrating. So, like, 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 for example, oh, like uh, uh, interplay. <laughs> No longer exists. Well, but here's the thing: so reform is the same corporate Well, this is a separate interesting issue, right? So, what happens to because a corporation owns property, owns assets and property? The question is, what happens? I mean, owns assets. Just because the corporation dissolves doesn't mean that they cease to own property. So nothing. So nothing. They have. Later on. So they're going to you. They're going to you. Not before, just now. I don't. If during the dissolution of the corporation, it's going to depend on the state of incorporation and what their rules are. So, for example, the state of Florida, the dissolved corporation continues to own assets and then but has a duty to dispose of them and then there's a whole process for dealing so, with so, that. So it's not answer, easy. Yeah, so the answer is really higher than uh, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about doing something serious with it, I would say yeah. But I would say this also. It's like I have one dating back to, you know, the... Great, how are you? Some of them I really want to be able to bring the chairs down here so that we're in more of a discussion mode. A lot of people say, oh, as soon as you say, I'm going to run this Okay. 